you are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, and I'm here with Ben Golliver from the Washington Post to talk about Game 2 of the NBA Finals. Uh, David Ramil will join me later on to talk about some of the other NBA news stuff, but I want to start with the Warriors, who win Game 2, take a 1-1 series back to Oakland. They were without Kevin Durant. They lose Klay Thompson and Kevon Looney in the middle of the game. Steph Curry wasn't 100%. Andre Iguodala is dealing with that leg injury. And yet they managed uh, to get enough from Curry, from DeMarcus Cousins, and a bunch of these other guys. Quinn Cook had a good game. It reminded me of that Game 5 against Houston, Ben, when that, that game that Kevin Durant got injured. And after the game, Steve Kerr called the Warriors bleeping giants. And with everything that happened in Sunday's game against the Raptors, losing Clay Thompson in the middle of it, the Warriors were bleeping Giants again. You've got to give that team a lot of credit. Uh, there's no question about it. We were thinking the exact same thoughts there, Wes. That was the same words, the same moment that kind of came back to uh, my mind, especially because they did it in the second half, right? They turned the game around. They pulled themselves together. It was the collective response. I mean, an 18-0 to run just doesn't happen by accident, right? A lot of things have to go well. Um, I thought Clay Thompson during that run was sensational defensively. I thought Draymond yep. Green... Uh, was really good, you know, turning defense into offense. It seemed like that was really when they got out and got easy buckets, maybe uh, at, at that point more than any other in the game. But also DeMarcus Cousins, too. And he was almost the headliner to me from this game because when they came into game two, I thought that they were going to start him as sort of a strategy to almost limit the damage that would be done by him when he was on the court. I mean, that's how much he struggled hmm. in game one. And I thought, okay, if you start him, you surround him with defensive help with Draymond Green. You give him those guards to play with. His life becomes a lot easier, and he can just sort of buy you minutes until you get to Kevon Looney. But that's not how it played out at all. This guy wound up playing 28 minutes. He had the double-double. But even more than the the scoring and the foul drawing and the rebounding that he was doing, I thought it was the passing. I mean, he was absolutely central to hitting all of these yeah. cutters, Clay Thompson, Sean Livingston, uh, to kind of make Toronto pay for their very – aggressive perimeter defense on uh, Golden State's guards. It was such an important uh, important counterbalance to the Warriors' attack. And for a guy to make his first start since basically early April, uh, to step in and play way more minutes than Steve Kerr even anticipated, I, I think he said after the game he was planning to play Cousins 20 minutes, it was a remarkable showing. And you look back at Cousins' uh, career, his reputation has been immature, hot-headed, uh, maybe unreliable, not necessarily a winning player. And I think this was a real signature moment for him. I mean, to me, it was the biggest game of his life because he took all of those negative labels that have been there for basically a decade and he spun them right around. He was reliable. He was right on time when they needed him. He played very gutsy, uh, selfless team basketball uh, and he stepped up in a big time way and he kept his head about him too down the stretch. So uh, for all those reasons, to me, I think Cousins really deserves the exclamation point from that game too. Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're, it, it was a great showcase for him too because the things that impressed us so much about DeMarcus Cousins in the past, his four all-star years, right? Uh, his, his ridiculous athleticism for a guy his size was always the stuff that stood out with him. But when you really watch DeMarcus Cousins, for the people that watched him closely, and I saw him a couple of years in Sacramento, and you get to watch it up, up close and personal, is just his basketball IQ is ridiculous. And maybe that basketball IQ does 
get overshadowed by the the fact that he loses his temper. And both of those things can be true, right? Like he could be a really uh, helpful player for you, but he could also some just pick up too many techs. He led the league in techs for several years, but um yeah that, intelligence and that, composure that are, are two yeah. different things right and and he hasn't always exactly. had both those and you're you're totally right he showed both and and, and, and and then he was able to and because look the guy's not only recovering from the quad injury he's not he wasn't ever fully recovered from the achilles thing from a year ago so uh this guy is like just working on just he's not nearly the athlete he once was and he was able to put that that passing ability, that basketball IQ stuff, all on display last night. I mean, the passes he was hitting, the cuts that he was looking for. Jordan Bell can't do that. Gavon Looney can't do that. Um, and for a guy his size, like Draymond Green can't really even do that when he's playing center with the ability to just fling the ball over his head and find cutters from, and at every angle from the floor. I mean, it was insane. Right, because Draymond doesn't necessarily command that same one-on-one attention, right? Like if he goes into a, a post-up situation, like you're playing Draymond for the pass, you have to play Cousins for the shot, right? And that's what opens up that passing yeah. ability. Um, so, yeah, it, it, you're making a lot of great points here, uh, you know, with Cousins and, and sort of his development um, I guess my question for you, though, kind of going forward, big picture, uh, how much more do you think he can give them? And should we also yeah. be talking a little bit more about the valiance of Cousins even wanting to be back on the court in the first place? I mean, this guy is going to be a free agent. He's had two career-altering um, injuries like you just mentioned. I mean, a lot of people would have said, shut it down, play it safe. I think he's in a unique position because he's never really had the opportunity to play in the playoffs uh, before this season and certainly never to play for a title. Uh, and this is like kind of a reputation-changing uh, moment for him. Uh, but I think the fact that he's even on the court deserves a lot of praise. But I do wonder, is he going to be able to replicate that performance? Or are we going to see a situation where the injury and the impact of his recovery maybe catches up to him as this series unfolds if he has to keep playing big minutes? Yeah, you know, I, there's only so much that you could really expect from him. Um, I don't... Uh, he this might be the best game of the series. This could very well be the best game of the series. If I were to, if there if there were odds on it, I would bet that that would be the case. Um, but the fact that he was able to, I don't know if he can match Marcus or kind of because Marcus was the was I mean Pascal Siakam got the headlines. Marcus was a big X factor for Toronto in Game One. So if he can kind of draw even because he he outplayed Gasol in this last game, but if he could at least draw even with Gasol. That could be an issue, you know. That that could just be enough for for the Warriors. But I thought Gasol too. I mean, look, Gasol. You know, he was aggressive in that game one, very passive in game two. Demarcus Cousins has the opposite thing of Marcus Saul, where he's never passive. Like he almost forces the issue too much sometimes. And I actually thought that that confidence, that almost, you know, the Warriors, they step on the line of arrogance so often. And I think he fits kind of that mantra really well. And to, and in in that game too, I thought it really helped him. I thought he you know he just had the juice right in that game. I don't know if the juice will always be there. It'll be interesting to see. Okay, does he try to repeat that performance? Does he try like that? That confidence is never going to go away from him. Um, but I do wonder if it almost 
if it becomes too much of a liability going yeah, forward, in, if he if he's not feeling it like he wasn't. It was two. incredible that he had the mental uh, composure to to still believe in himself, to have that confidence because he was really rough in game one, and that's the kind of moment where yeah. an athlete who's not at a hundred percent can completely doubt his body, right? Doubt all the things that got him there. Start to make the mental excuses of oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. Maybe even get down on themselves, feel bad for themselves. None of that stuff happened, just like you mentioned. I mean, his confidence was sky high. He stepped in and banged that one three-pointer, uh, I believe, in the second quarter and, and maybe third quarter and had some just you know really nice assertive moves going to the basket as well. So um, I, I think that he definitely won that matchup with Marcus Saul, which is not something we, we ever would have expected after how game one went. Yeah. I do think, though, if you're Toronto, right, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle because Pascal, Marcus Saul, and Danny Green were all either good to excellent in game one and they were all like bad to poor uh, in game two, right? So that to me, somewhere yeah. that's going to level off, right? And so I, th- I think, yeah. And then on the Warriors side too, you get like this, these big threes from Quinn Cook, um, Andre Iguodala hits two threes, Sean Livingston makes big plays. I mean, they got the help where Toronto did. Yeah, well said. And so that's why I think from the Raptors' standpoint, like this was a crushing game two loss because they would have been in very strong position, you know, going back to Oakland and, and kind of waiting for that Kevin Durant uh, return. And I think that their confidence would have been sky high, kind of, you know, big picture throughout the rest of this series. Uh, but it, now this goes down as a major lost opportunity. And it's kind of a gut check time because look, I think the Warriors fans in Oracle, they're going to have seen, you know, the week's worth of stories we've all written about Jurassic Park and the Raptors mm-hmm. crazy fans and everything else. And they know this is the last, you know, stretch of games here in Oracle before they move across the bay. And, and they just saw their team pull out a really gutsy game two victory. So I expect the atmosphere at Oracle to, you know, match this Raptors and, you know, the Raptors crowd intensity for sure. And I think if you're Toronto, that's a real test because you've got to pull yourself up from a disappointing game in which a lot of the role players didn't play very well, in which Kyle Lowry uh, was essentially a non-factor. Now you've got to go and pull yourself together in Oracle on the road where Golden State's won five straight playoff games and you know potentially deal with the prospect of Kevin Durant returning at some point here uh, during this stretch of the series. That's a lot for any team to deal with. I know Toronto has shown yeah. a lot of resolve in this postseason, but this turned into a gut check time uh, for them real quick after such a fabulous and kind of inspiring game one win. Yeah, and look, Clay Thompson, we'll know more about him probably later today by the time people are listening to this. Same with Kevon Looney. with They're going to undergo some MRIs. But uh, we'll talk about what's next in this series. Uh, but first, let's take a quick break. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. And Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts, like tall, short, slim, relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great, untucked, and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com and use the promo code NBA to get 20% off. Obviously, a lot of this is going to come down to, all right, is Clay Thompson healthy? Uh, how much more can Andre Iguodala give you? What's the deal with Kevon Looney? If Kevon Looney is hurt, can you really expect those repeat performances from DeMarcus Cousins like we talked about? And then does Kevin Durant eventually come back? I think there's a lot of things. I I, I, I agree with you that the rap, for the Raptors it is gut check time, but I also feel like, look, 
the the Warriors had this crazy five and a half half minute stretch where they outscored the Raptors eighteen to nothing. Uh, the Raptors had a great stretch at the end of of the game. There, Sean Livingston comes up with a huge uh, jump ball win over Kawhi Leonard, and Andre Iguodala is standing right there, right exactly where he's supposed to be, and hits this huge three pointer that he hasn't hit. He hasn't hit a three since I think game five or six of the of the or yeah since the the Western Conference semifinals and before that. So. I actually sort of feel like if I'm the Raptors, I I feel kind of good still coming out of that game. They 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 won where they were supposed to win. They they still won the fast break points. They outscored them on second chance opportunities. I thought they executed on their game plan. It was just it was a incredible performance by the Warriors. But with all of those injuries, I'm still feeling pretty good going into Oakland with a 1-1 series. Yeah, look, it's a painful loss, but it doesn't necessarily need to uh, carry over. Toronto can't ask for anything more from the health advantage department, right? I mean, these guys are dropping like flies. It was like a hospital ward out there trying to keep track of all the different uh, maladies and and illnesses and, you know, other different things people were dealing with. Um, Now, but that being said, Kawhi Leonard did not have a huge impact in game two. He got the numbers, but he never really dictated the action. And then during that key third quarter stretch – he didn't step up and take control of the game uh, and really do it. And I think you saw uh, for the first time in a while for Toronto that sort of lack of on-court leadership that you know got to their role, mm-hmm. guys. I mean, we saw a lot of hesitation, yeah. a lot of shots that were going up that you kind of felt like were going to be misses, you know, from the perimeter before they even got to the basket. Uh, you know, guys just being tentative, um, and that is a really bad sign. Like that's the worst possible sign you can. Uh, uh, you know, look for if you're a Raptors supporter because they've had so much su- success here over the last two series by just, you know, b- completely having self-belief and, you know, allowing Kawhi to set that uh, confident tone for them throughout the game. So that would make me a little bit nervous, especially going on the road. They haven't been great on the road in the, in the postseason. They've had some big wins like game five against Milwaukee, uh, but I think they're four and four on the road, uh, you know, in during these playoffs. Yeah. So, uh it could be a lot worse for them. They can certainly, you know, if you're going to spin this optimistically, Kawhi can play better and have a bigger impact. Uh, Kyle Lowry can't play much worse. Uh, the role guys aren't going to look as bad as they did collectively uh, in game two. And I'm not sure that Golden State necessarily solved all those guys. I think Draymond did a much better job on Pascal Siakam, but I think some of the other issues that Toronto had uh, were self-inflicted. So they're still in a position here, but uh, I guess to me... Wait, can we can we go back to the Kawhi thing really Please. quick? Because I, I I'm glad you pointed that out because a lot of people are saying, okay, what did he score? 34 points in that game? Yeah, 34. Everybody's like, oh well, he he bounced back from kind of a average game one. I'm like, no, he didn't. He just scored more points. I thought he played almost as average, if not worse. I actually thought he was more effective in game one than he was in game two because he's he's not reacting well to the doubles and the traps. I I, I just. He had this quote after game one, and I think a lot of people spin that positive where they say, okay, he said, um, you know, I, I'm not out here to play hero ball or something. I'm paraphrasing, but I, do you remember the quote I'm talking about? I'm not out here to play hero ball. I'm just trying to make the right read, make the right basketball play. It was very Le- the school of LeBron-esque, but it was all like the thing about LeBron that was so dangerous to these Warriors in past finals. And look, this is probably going to be a more competitive series for a lot of reasons in those Cavalier series, but... The th- LeBron and Steph Curry, too, probably the two best guys in the league at balancing, okay, when to make the right basketball play and when to really force the issue. And Kawhi really hasn't forced the issue. And you got to give some credit to the Warriors, of course, but 
I, I, I think Kawhi needs to be more forceful. He needs to, like you said, kind of take that leadership, take that confidence up another notch, and, and don't just worry about making the right basketball play. You're getting doubled, split the double. Like, you've got to do stuff, and there's definitely inherent limitations to Kawhi's game that Golden State's exploiting here, but you, I would also like to see Kawhi force the issue a little bit more, put his giant paw print on this game more than he has in the first yeah, two. Yeah, let's just face it. I mean, if you are going to play the LeBron-style basketball of making the right read, you know, finding the open man— you can't finish with three assists and five turnovers. I mean, that's just unacceptable, <laughs> right. right? So that means you're just not doing a good enough job at that aspect. If that's your game plan, you fell short. Um, you know, he did do a nice nice work getting to the free throw line. I think that was sort of the, the big key for him for game two. Uh, and that there is sort of this foul trouble battle going on both ways, right? Because Golden State's hmm. bigs are yeah. dealing with a lot of it. Uh, you've got Kyle Lowry, who's been in foul trouble the entire, entire series. And so, you know, those kinds of things can actually really help. And so, again, that just encourages Kawhi to be even more aggressive. Like, get yourself to the free throw line and get DeMarcus Cousins on the bench with four fouls early. You know what I mean? Like, those kinds of things can make a big difference when Golden State's front line is is so short-manned. How big of a deal is it going to be if Klay Thompson plays but is hobbled because uh, I think it was Anthony Slater of the athletic wrote, he kind of compared the clay Thompson thing to Chris Paul's injury. It was at this hamstring issue, like a hamstring issue could be really, it's more than just pain tolerance. And Thompson is known for just playing through pain, but a hamstring thing could just be straight up debilitating, right? Like you, like as much as you might want to get on the floor, you just can't. Uh, we don't know the extent of the injury at the time of us recording this, but even if he's hobbled, how big of a, of a deal no, is that? No, it's a huge deal. I mean, he was the only reason. I mean, Clay Thompson and the referees was Golden State's formula in the first half, right? Like, the refs gave them a lot of charitable calls, I thought, and Clay hit some really, really tough, like, quick trigger, quick release type three pointers under yeah. lots of duress. I mean, he was the, the driving force of their offense when Steph goes the first 20 minutes of the game without scoring or without hitting a, a basket. Um, so that's huge, but also defensively, he's done a nice job on Kawhi Leonard and, you know, we can kind of bag on Kawhi a little bit for maybe what his mentality or his approach. I mean, it does seem like maybe he's limited a little bit by, uh, his leg, leg injury as well. There was one moment in the game where Kawhi was actually playing with his, uh, the wrap around his thigh. I don't know if it's like spandex or something like he just looked, you know, uncomfortable or, uh, you know, something more than just, you know, just your standard, uh, uh, you know, aggravation. Uh, but, Clay deserves a lot of credit for you know forcing those turnovers, applying a lot of pressure, being disciplined, uh, staying out of major foul trouble, like all the things you look for from a sort of a high level perimeter defender. And they don't win uh, game two without Clay. I mean, there's no question. I mean, to me, that game could have gotten away from them. They were so lucky to be down by only five at halftime. They could have easily been down by 15 at halftime. And you know, without Clay, you know, his fingerprints all over that 18 to zero run. Uh, they're not in position to win that game either. And and you could see how much they missed him down the stretch of game two, right? Like that, that 10 0 yeah. run by Toronto got, uh, you know, that game almost got away from uh, Golden State. You see. Uh, yeah, they got it to within two, right? Right. Yeah. And Steph Curry had the technical foul. Very unusual. You see uh, mm-hmm. the, the near turnover that Sean Livingston basically saved Curry uh, by, you know, stepping into the pass and, and then finding Iguodala for the, the dagger three pointer. So. Uh, they looked a lot different without Clay, and that is the part of the tape. If I was, you know, Coach Kerr and staff, that I would be focusing on of, you know, letting everybody realize, like, you know, the more guys who are injured or limited, um, you know, the more precise and careful everybody else has to play, whether it's taking care of the basketball uh, or, you know, you know, defending with your principles rather than, you know, getting yourself in in trouble uh, or out of position. Right. 
Curry's gonna if if these guys can't go, Curry's gonna be in the situation that LeBron was in in the in the first uh, Cavs Warriors Finals when Kevin Love and Kyrie both got hurt, and it was basically just LeBron and a bunch of Matthew Dellavedovas. Like that's kind of be gonna be where Curry's at, and I think the Warriors look they played an amazing defensive game in that game too, and I think that's that that is gonna pop that could carry over right that should carry over going back home to Oracle, but um, I also feel like there, this was such a weird game. There's obviously some takeaways, but there's a lot of things you can also just like throw out and just say, okay, this was a really strange game too. Um, I think a few of the things that the Raptors could try to adjust from is, you know, how they were playing Kawhi, blitzing on that pick and roll, uh, how they were guarding Marcus Saul, Draymond Green kind of being like this free safety guy defensively instead of um, being a man-to-man guy against Kawhi Leonard. I think there's some things that Nick Nurse can look at and adjust from there, and and you know we'd expect him to do that. But there's also kind of like at some point you got to say that was that was a wonky game. We kind of have to like throw that out and just get back to playing our kind of like just getting back to our kind of basketball, win the battles that we can win, and then go into Oakland and do that. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think um, you know Nick Nurse. Like, if you're game planning, okay, like what do you do here to like pick yourself back up? I mean, I think. Uh, you you focused on the turnovers and on the transition game. Uh, you know, don't you think that's sort of where their their focus is going to be yep. as they kind of like piece together their game plan? I think also we need to see more of Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry attacking DeMarcus Cousins on the high switches, right? Like you get them into the pick yep. and roll, force the switch, and then go to work. I mean, you saw Toronto do that a lot early in the first quarter. They kind of went away from it. And I don't think it should just be Kawhi. I think it should be Kyle Lowry too. I mean, I think this guy has to get going, and the easiest way to get him going is to put him on a defender who doesn't have that lateral quickness to stay with him on the perimeter. Um, so th- those would be... And the Warrior- the Warriors are hiding guys on Lowry. Like, they're not worried about... Like, Lowry's got to do more when he's off the ball. Like, he kind of just stands there on the three-point line. I don't know if he thinks he's spacing the floor, but he needs to cut off the ball. He needs to get active and make them pay because they're just hiding dudes on him. They're playing off For the sure, ball. and he's not actively involved in the playmaking aspect, and he's a great passer. You know, he's been a, a the yeah. leader of an offense for a long time, so he needs to get more involved. I mean, I think if anybody's going to come out with abandon in Game 3, you know, just sort of feeling like, look, I have to leave my stamp on this series because uh, I haven't been, you know, playing to my standard, I think it would be Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. I think one and one final thought here for the Raptors. I think there was a lot of times there where they were intimidated by DeMarcus Cousins' just size, and and they would stop their drive short despite kind of having the angle. And and you know you could kind of see if they would have taken another step or two towards the basket that they haven't beat. But they would just pat and like it was specifically like the small guys like Lowry and 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 Van Vliet who would just like pass out of that situation. Um, but they they need to get more aggressive to getting to the bottom of that rim because. I do think that they could beat Cousins in those pick-and-roll situations, and I don't really think that they forced that issue as much as they probably should have. For sure. I mean, and look, so, that's going to be um, easier than going against Draymond or, you know, trying to deal with Clay. Right. I mean, that's that's your, your weak spot. I think also let's give credit to Curry uh, defensively for his activity level, I thought, was off the charts in, in – uh, in game three, mm-hmm. especially in the second half. So, you know, Golden State absolutely ramped up the defense. And when you're faced with an opponent that's tested, experienced, you know, cohesive because they played together forever, like you don't really have any choice but to pick on their weakest player. And that's Cousins. And uh, that's exactly what I would be doing if I was Toronto headed into game three. Well, game three is Wednesday in Oakland. Ben, I will see you there. Thanks for jumping on. Can't wait to see you, man. Take care. The Phoenix Suns could be shopping the number six pick in the hopes of landing a veteran point guard. David Ramil will join me after the break to talk about that. But first, 
Today's show is brought to you by Grip6. Looking for a great Father's Day gift? Grip6 belts are ultra lightweight with no holes and no flap, which equals no bulk. Go to grip6.com slash lock for a special offer. And remember, to get this show every day, subscribe to Locked on NBA on the free Himalaya podcast app. It's the perfect place to listen to the podcast that you love and discover new favorites to listen to. Check out their playlists and share and comment on your favorite shows and episodes. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on NBA. David Ramil is here to talk about some off-season rumors. Let's start with Kawhi, because True Hoops' David Thorpe reported recently that Kawhi hasn't shut the door on re-signing with the Raptors, where it looked like the whole Clippers thing only about a month ago, David, was like a done deal. Turns out it's not. And now Kawhi has reportedly bought property in Toronto. No telling what exactly that property is, but property is property. How much do you think that we should make of this, David? Nothing at all, to be honest with you. I, I think... We're all looking for signs, and you know we could have extrapolated anything. I, I recall a 2014, before LeBron left Miami to rejoin the Cleveland Cavaliers, that his wife opened up a business in the downtown Miami area that was supposed to be a thriving juice spot, and she was really looking forward to you know having a business there and, and, and creating and establishing something on her own. And of course, just a few months later. He was wearing a Cavs jersey. None of it mattered. And I don't know what happened to the business. I assume it probably shut down relatively quickly. But you look at these players and they can buy properties all over the place. They have the kind of means to do so. And that's I'm not breaking news here. They're rich and they can buy property <laughs> everywhere. He might look just like the city of Toronto. And why not? Apparently, if he does resign, he gets to eat free at any number of restaurants that want to endorse him and, and, and pay for his meals in the future. So... Um, I don't know if you've heard about this, by the way, but that's yes, yeah, okay, I think okay. it's it's a wonderful gesture by Canada. <laughs> it does, right? Yeah, for a millionaire to be given free food, not not people right. who can actually use the free food. But in any case, um, they are, they already got universal health care up there. They're fine. Okay, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know. I, like, I think he is going to resign there. Um, it's hard to tell with a player like Kawhi, obviously, who plays things so close to the vest. But I think if you look at a situation where he can thrive individually and in a team surrounding Toronto is as good as any. I mean, Wait, so you he, think he is resigning there. Did you always think that? Or are you just sort of thinking that now because they went to the finals and all this? No, I, I think we're starting to see more and more that players look, Paul George kind of bucked the trend a little bit, but I, I think, I think players, there's no reason for these players to move around. If a, they're getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money and B, they have a chance to win. And if C, they feel comfortable in said environment and Toronto, uh, you know, checks off all of those boxes for him. They, they give mm-hmm. him an opportunity to showcase his talents, to continue to challenge for future MVP trophies. Um, they continue to, they probably will be a winning team. And we've already heard stories about him signing a one-on-one type deal where he has flexibility in the future to see how the rest of the roster shapes up. If Kyle Lowry takes another step down, if he continues to age, etc., if they can't build enough uh, you know, complimentary players to support their push for a title. So and not to say that they don't win a title this year. I mean, it looks like right now they're they're in pretty good place. So um, they could challenge for a title this year. They could challenge for a title next. And, and if that's the case, they can pay him a lot of money. Why not stay in Toronto? I don't see any reason why not, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't make too much about the property thing because, like, you know, the, the crazy thing about property is once you buy it, you can also just sell it. So I'm That's not true. that worried about it. Um, I do. I don't know if I if they win the finals, I could see the one on one thing happening. I try. I don't know if if it matters because I just don't know what matters to Kawhi. Like, I have no idea what he cares about. Does he care? Like, 
he seems to like Toronto enough to buy property in it. So that to me that is saying city, something, right? I mean, that's... yeah. So he doesn't hate the cold so much, like you know, that he wouldn't want to have property there. I don't know. That's all that. That's all that says to me. Um, I don't know whether or not he cares about living uh, in Southern California where he's from, um, and maybe that that's why everybody kind of drew that dotted line to the the Clippers. It did seem like it was a done deal just even a few months ago. Just like Durant to the Knicks seems like it's a done deal. Um, but that's for different reasons, though. Like, different reasons, exactly. And and I don't and nobody really knows the reasons with Kawhi. So I'm right. I, I you know what I'm just gonna say I have no freaking clue. How's that for a take? Um, ESPN's Jonathan Gavoni reports that the Suns could be willing to swap the number six pick in exchange for quote the right veteran point guard. Obviously, it depends on who's available when they are on the clock. But who do you think would be the right point guard worth giving up that pick for, David? Well, I, I think the question also is you know the fact that they can't fill the point guard slot, which is obviously their greatest area of need. They've got Devin Booker, they got DeAndre Ayton. Um, you know, they, they've got enough. They've got Michael Bridges. They've got enough different players there already ensconced in their you know, respective positions where they're looking for somebody to be a clear-cut initiator. And when you're looking at the number six pick, even in, I mean, throughout the whole first round, I don't think that there is a point guard, a true point guard, slated to be chosen in the first round. Like, there are various players. There's some combo guards, things of that sort. Kobe White, I think, is the highest potential point guard, but he doesn't Dar- really Darius, fit that mold. Yeah, Darius, Darius Garland. Garland. Who probably yeah. won't be there with the sixth pick. Uh, so, I think... There's a couple of options, none of them particularly enticing to say, I want to use a lottery pick to select, but you could potentially get a star or established point guard already. Um, if as, if you're looking for particular options, I think the name that's probably been tossed around the most is Lonzo Ball. Uh, yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense because you've got a clear-cut score, you've got a number two score in Aiton, you've got other options on that roster already, and a guy like Ball, who's not going to be dependent on in Phoenix to be a primary scorer uh, and, and more often than not will be the primary facilitator. I think that fits his skill set pretty effectively. Um, you look at who they have on that roster. Tyler Johnson is starting at their point guard position. That's not really a long-term solution there. He's better suited to come off the bench, as you and I both well know. So I, I think it makes sense on another it, level. It, it makes sense for Phoenix. I don't sure. know that that makes sense for the Lakers unless – for whatever reason, the Pelicans and a potential Anthony Davis deal prefer the sixth pick over Lonzo Ball, and I don't think that that's the case. From everything, we're, I don't know. I don't know what David Griffin's opinion of Lonzo Ball is, but I could see that if you're just going to get that sixth pick and then flip the sixth pick for mm-hmm. that in a package. Mm-hmm. But for the Lakers, they've already got the fourth pick. I don't like if you're rebuilding. I like I would understand wanting the fourth and the sixth pick because hey, yeah, now you got a lot of stuff to rebuild with, but they're not rebuilding. They want to surround LeBron with guys who can win right now because LeBron needs to win right now. I'm not even sure they're going to hold on to the fourth pick. They might just flip the fourth pick, let right. alone trading Lonzo, who is at least something that they know about, for something that is complete unknown. It just doesn't make sense for me from the Lakers. I think another one of the – but I, I do think, by the way, the Suns would love that. Yes. But then maybe there's a team that's rebuilding like Memphis. I mean, we've heard the, the Mike Conley thing, but – It doesn't seem six... to fit as far as the window is concerned. Like, you're looking at Mike yeah. Conley and the player that he is – as good a fit as he'd be in Phoenix because I think he's a pretty solid guard and he would fit almost anywhere. Like with the age groups of Booker, Aiton, et cetera, 
that's not really the right fit. You know, you no, unless somebody... you're just trying to speed, like unless you're just trying to speed up the process, which we've seen Phoenix do before. By the it's way, possible, yes, yeah, it's it, like you and I it doesn't make sense, but for Phoenix it might because that's how kind of that's how Phoenix rolls. But like, also, <laughs> given Robert Sarver's notoriously tight wallet, I mean, is he yeah. going to want to pay a player like Mike Conley? That's a good point. You know, I, I don't know. I, I've heard Ricky Rubio is it, no longer a priority for, for the Utah Jazz. I mean, that's that might be a good fit as well. Well, Rubio is a free agent. They don't have to trade a six round the six pick for him. Right, I guess you're right. But but I mean, the six picks does seem seem pretty steep for Conley. If you're Phoenix, are you desperate enough to do six and Tyler Johnson for Chris Paul? Would Houston do that? Like that's what I'm like. I if you could get Chris Paul next to Devin Booker, that's really now you've really got something. I think like that that would be almost worth it. I feel like if you're like there's not a whole lot of teams that could be willing to pay Chris Paul what he's going to get paid. But to me, that makes sense because number one, you get a celebrity on your team. Um, you can kind of sell Devin Booker on this idea, like, "Hey, we're building a super team. We've got Chris Paul. We know that Devin Booker has said that before." Um, like, I think that you could sell your fans on that. That makes sense to me. You can get a lot of goodwill, I think, by bringing Chris Paul in, just like the Rockets did. I don't there, know that that there, would. Yeah, I'm, I'm six trying to seems still pretty that. steep for Chris Paul, given what he's going to be making. Are there other young guards there that kind of fit that mold of so what Phoenix right. might potentially be looking for? I, I'm struggling to think of anybody off the top of my head that might yeah. fit that mold. I mean, can you can like a, a sign and trade doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't see Kyrie or Kemba wanting to go there and, and help facilitate that. Here's an option. I had, I just thought about this right now. Fred Van Vliet's under contract, isn't he not? Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think number six is enough to get Van Vliet, though. Really? You think Toronto? <laughs> I'm kidding. Up? I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. All right. No, I'm serious. I mean, you trade that pick for Van Vliet. I mean, for Toronto's perspective, it frees up a little cap space there. They could move that six pick. They, who knows? They might be able to do something to that kind of rejigger their roster there. Pretty steep for Fred Van Vliet. I don't know. I would think. I would almost say. I, I, I wouldn't get so worried about the point guard thing. I would offer number six for Brad Beal and see what Washington does. Wow. And just say, you know what? We're not going to have a pure point guard, but Beal, Booker, they could both sort of play make a little bit. We'll split the point guard duties 50-50 and then go for it because Brad Beal is a better player and t- he's 25 years old. He's like he's got he's in the window. He's a better player than anybody else we've already talked about. I would just say, let screw it. Let's give... Let's give Washington the ammo for them to go rebuild because unlike the Lakers, they probably should do that and uh, and just say, you know what, six and, and you know, the Tyler Johnson expiring contract to make the salaries work for Bradley Beal and, and see what they say. What about um, Beal's teammate, John Wall? I mean, that makes sense too, doesn't it? Number six, it does not for John Wall. See, but we're looking yeah. at who's the sixth pick? Like, who's the projected sixth pick in the draft? I mean, I mean they could get a good player there. I mean, there's... I just I think that the value overall for the sixth pick is mm. is such that you don't like John Wall's not even gonna play next year and the amount of money that he's making. I just I feel like the Wizards would have to give up their pick to get off of John Wall, let alone accumulate a sixth pick in return for it. Um yeah, I don't I don't really see we could go through the the whole NBA and get onto the trade machine, but that's boring podcasting. So um we'll end it there. We'll see what the Suns can do. Ultimately I think the Suns just hold on to it and end up keeping the sixth pick. I actually think a good player will be there at six and they'll be happy with it. Thank you to our sponsors, Hotel.com. Thank you to Untuck It, and thank you to Grip Six Belts. Remember to listen to and subscribe to new and archived episodes of Locked on NBA on Himalaya, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. Make sure to check out Ben Gulliver's writing over at the Washington Post. Dave and I will be over at Locked on Heat until next week, and we'll catch you then.